it must be all about role modelling. You know, if they see you sitting around doing nothing, what are they going to do? They're going to sit around doing nothing. But if they see you, you know, working hard and being there for them and supporting them and encouraging them and allowing them to be themselves, and you can often look back at the parent and say, yeah, that's why so-and-so's turned out like she has. You're listening to Doreen Gallagher, the mother of Jess Gallagher. Jess lost 90% of her vision when she was 17 and she's considered to be legally blind. But this didn't stop her from becoming the first Australian Paralympian to ever medal in both the Summer and Winter Olympics. And she's also the first Australian woman to ever medal in the Winter Paralympic Games. Outside of her sporting activities, Jess is also a highly sought-after motivational speaker She's a practicing osteopath, she's a board director for 2020 Vision Australia, and she's an ambassador for a number of non-profit organizations. It's very important for me to explore if and how parenting changes across different cultures and across different geographies, and so I was very happy to have Doreen as my first non-US guest. As you'll hear, this was a very emotional conversation in which Doreen talked very openly about the adversities that shaped her life and about her parenting style. We talked about sacrifice, we talked about role modeling, we talked about raising kids as a single mom, and more. I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation, and my guess is that you will fall in love with this strong and remarkable woman, just as I did. I'm Guy Michelin, and this is Raising to Rise, a show about the parents, educators, and mentors of kids who made it to the top of their game. Every week, we'll identify patterns and pieces of advice that hopefully will serve you while on the journey of raising your own kids. Doreen, welcome to the show. Thank you. To kick things off, uh, I want to take you to Vancouver 2010. I exchanged emails with Jess before the show, and she told me that from her perspective, it was a very, very emotional moment. She crossed the finish line, and apparently she ran over to you. And she told me, hey, you should ask mom about that, her perspective, how she felt. So I thought that would be a good place to kick things off. Yeah, it still makes me cry. I'm sorry, this will be very emotional. From knowing the background of where Jess come from, what she's done, yeah, it was just sort of a good reward for her to, um, after Beijing and her eyesight and her netball and basketball aspirations, yeah, to see her medal was amazing and she deserved it, yeah. And she said that she thinks you didn't even watch it because you were too scared to see her crash. Well, I knew nothing about winter sport and I had no idea it was such an unforgiving sport. One wrong turn and that's it, you're gone. I suppose it's the same with everything, but obviously on snow, it's it's an unknown territory, as in the conditions, everything. Every day, it's a different ball game as opposed to when you're running on a running track. It's a running track, no matter where it is in the world. But when you're skiing, it's a totally different playing field every every time you're out there, every, you know, no matter if you're on the same ski run, each day is different. So, yeah, I learned very quickly, having watched other athletes, that, you know, you can, no matter how good you are on the day, the environment can dictate. Yeah, so I wasn't going to watch when I knew she was potential to get at least third. <laughs> But she did and she got a medal. Yes, yeah, yeah, very exciting. 
And of course, being the first Australian female Winter Paralympian and having only, you know, being from Geelong, obviously a, not a winter sport area. And yeah, having the disaster of Beijing behind her and then getting this opportunity, but having such a short time to transition into becoming a winter athlete. Very exciting. A moment I'll never forget. No, I'm sure. I was trying to put myself in your shoes. If it was one of my kids, I'm sure it would probably been one of the most emotional, amazing moments of my life. Yeah. And I was there by myself. So, and obviously because she was a medal winner, everyone else wanted her. So it was sort of difficult in, in the fact that there was no one to share it with at the time. Yeah. And so even though she's won more medals, that'll, that'll always be the most probably emotional sort of day of my life. I can imagine. I can imagine. So uh, we're going to come back again to Jess' Olympic career because it's a phenomenal story. But I actually want to start and take you back in time to your childhood because I think that our childhood in many ways afterwards shapes the way we raise our kids, both because uh, sometimes we replicate what we've seen at home and sometimes we actually decide that we don't want to do things as we were parented. And so I'm just curious if you can tell us a little bit of where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? And how do you think it shaped who you later became as an adult and as a parent? Well, I grew up on a small farm near a place called Ballarat, which is about an hour from where I live now. Very poor, one of seven children. And probably the most biggest memory I've got, we were surrounded by forest. And on a clear night, I could hear a train And I thought, one day I'll get on there and go and escape. Just wanted to go, get away from the bush. So with my parenting, from that I learned that, one, don't have seven children. Don't subject my children to a life of being, what would you say? Like my parents were very, very nice, very loving people, but because of seven children and no money, it's sort of, there was no opportunity. You'll basically just grow up, get a job and look after yourself really so definitely want it different from my children so it sounded like there was a lot of adversity growing up so how did you get out of there how did you change the trajectory i left school before i turned 15 because one of my other sisters they wanted to go further whereas i just wanted to get out and another reason i was actually almost six feet tall when i started high school and i had to wear my older sister's uniform, who was only five foot seven, so <laughs> was quite happy to, to leave. So nearly every girl in the district actually became a nurse in those days because we could live on the job and it was on the job training as opposed to university training. So I'd actually applied at the local hospital to become, in those days, and what they were called a nurse's aide. So I knew as soon as I turned 17, I could leave home and live on the job and become a nurse. It wasn't a career of choice, but it was a career of opportunity, really, of getting out of home. And then I want to jump forward to when the kids are born. So you're meeting your husband and then yeah. you're having two kids. Did you consciously sit down to think, here are a couple of principles that I'm going to apply as a parent? Not really consciously. Obviously, one of my aims was to give them opportunities. Whatever they decided to do or wanted to do, I was prepared to support them. You know, I wanted them to go to a private school so they would mix with people that knew their mothers and fathers both worked as opposed to not working. As children, when I was a child, we were meant to, you know, even the 
the butcher and the baker we had to respect and they were all above us, you know, and I didn't want my children growing up thinking that they were any better than my children were. So, you know, I wanted them to mix with friends who had dads as lawyers and doctors and all that so that they were just people to them as opposed to different, you know, sort of more important. So, yeah, it was just more or less exposing them to things that I was never exposed to. Um, yeah, whatever they chose to to um, want to do in their life. And obviously I was into sports, so that's where I think Jess, you know, aspired to be like her mum, which is quite a, a flattering compliment. Um, yeah, so no real principles, just give them a, lot, a better life than I had. And what sport did you play? Um, well, I didn't, much to my, a lot of people's surprise, I didn't actually play much because I had, was in quite a bad car accident when I was in my early 20s and I was off work sick for three years with fairly major back injuries and was basically told to go home and wait to, and buy myself a wheelchair. And I suppose that's one of the areas where I actually learned how strong I could be and where I actually then took up a lot of gym work and basically healed myself after being told that I would probably end up not being able to walk. So when I should have been playing a lot of sport, I wasn't. But then I'd played a little bit of netball earlier and a bit of basketball. But then because of the car accident, I didn't get to start sport till I was in my late 20s. So, of course, you've missed all the important years of being good. But I was still, because I was six foot tall, relatively good. And then I took up golf as well. So I, I just like sport. You know, I like playing sport. I don't like being a spectator. I prefer to be doing it. So, and obviously had an influence on Jess, which at the time, it certainly wasn't the reason I played sport. It was because I, and I still do enjoy sport and keeping fit. And did you push her to get into sport? No, not at all. When she was at the private school, they had no outside activities at all. So I actually suggested, it was a very small private school that I could perhaps coach a netball team. So that was her first introduction. She'd done ballet and she'd done gymnastics and learnt to swim and things like that. So I coached there for the first netball team she was ever in. And even then I could see that Jess had a special talent. She just picked things up so easily compared to her peers. So that was her introduction and then just transitioned into basketball and whatever. <laughs> As she got older, she tried everything. And how do you, because by that time, I'm guessing uh, you were already a single mom, you're a nurse, so I think nurses work night shifts. Jess wrote to me that you drove her all around the country to games. How did you manage all of that to fit all of that in 24 hours? Well, no sleep, basically. <laughs> I, would, I, I would sleep when they went to school and I'd be awake to pick them up when they finished. So... Um, And I'll always remember when she did state training, when she was playing for the state, they had to go to training, and that was in Melbourne, which is about an hour away. So I'd knock off a 10-hour night shift, go home, organise her, drive her to Melbourne, sleep in the car while she trained for three hours, drive her home, and then go back to work that night. And that went on for years. That's a, that's um, a very big investment. Huge. Sacrifice. And, and she was playing state netball and basketball, which means you've also got to play your local club level and all your training, you know, different things. Plus, she was in... bands at school which needed transport you know she needed transportation for that so it wasn't just her sport either and then of course it was Josh as well which I had to thank goodness he wasn't as interested in sport as what she was 
<laughs> so, I mean, he tried a lot, but he was just not as interested, I would say. But no, it was a big, a tough gig. One of my previous guests, Professor William Damon, who wrote the book Path to Purpose, talked about the fact that every child has a spark. And it is our role as parents to help the kids identify that spark. It's interesting to note one technique that all my previous guests used. They all exposed their kids to a lot of opportunities. Chip tried basketball, baseball, swimming, water polo. Esther's girls did tennis, swimming, piano, ice skating, and probably much more. And as Doreen said, she let her kids try pretty much whatever they wanted. I read somewhere in an interview that just said a positive and a strong mindset is paramount to giving yourself the best ability to succeed. And I, and I read and I saw a lot of her talks. It seems like she has a very positive attitude to life. And it's something that I'm trying to instill in my kids. But I just wonder how can parents help their kids develop this very positive can-do attitude that it's very clear that Jess has? As a parent, it's hard to know whether... I don't remember saying anything, but whether it's how you live, what I created as a single parent. In later life, I discovered I had a talent for indoor rowing, which not many people have realized is actually an international sport. And I set my mind to one day being world champion, which I did. So obviously the kids witnessed this because I was in between doing everything for them. I was also training. When I first raced, I realized it was on there was an online world champion list and I was something like 68 in the world and I thought mm, I can do better than that so as I trained I climbed that ladder and finished up on top in a number of different divisions so I'm sure the kids were witness they were witness to me talking about what I was doing and where I was and when I broke world records and things like that to me it was only something small but maybe it was more of an influence to the kids than I ever give it credit to be. So it's essentially role modeling. It's not, it's less what you said, it's more what you did. I think if you say it, they take offense to it or it's, yeah, it's more what you do, I think. It's more what you do in your own life and you're the, their model. If mum can do it, I can do it rather than you saying you must do it or you, this is what you should do. I always try to instill in them, that, you know, when they were younger, you know, get an education. Don't be stuck in a situation I was where I stayed in a relationship longer than I should have because I didn't have the financial means to go or I didn't think I did. And probably the fact that I worked so hard as well helped. They're both very good workers, very motivated workers. So maybe it was them watching me that's caused them to be successful in their own right. They definitely were because one of the things, the first thing that Jess wrote to me in her email, and I'll just quote to you because I think you'd like to hear it. She said, uh, it's only been as an adult that I've had the ability to reflect and the emotional intelligence to understand the impact that mom has had on my life. I believe her greatest impact has been through her role modeling, being there and seeing her navigate her individual challenges as a single mom on a single income, raising two kids. And then she basically go on and on to say what she learned from your resilience and from your role modeling. So it's, it's definitely worked. Yeah, and, and I think it's an unconscious thing. Like it was never my 
you know, I never had any expectations of the kids other than to grow up to be nice people, you know, caring, thoughtful, respectful people, as opposed to you must be this or you must be that. And I never wanted them to work in any job other than what they wanted to do because, you know, as much as I enjoy nursing, I certainly wouldn't have chosen it as a career had I had opportunity. I was quite prepared to support them through whatever they wanted to achieve and still do to this day with Jess and obviously Josh if he needs me. Jess is 17 and she's being diagnosed with a rare eye disease. And I'm sure that was also a very memorable slash traumatic moment. Can you take us back to, to how you learned about it? And also, again, I was trying as hard as I can to put myself in your shoes. What do you do at this moment or the following moments after the doctor basically tell you the news? Oh, the emotions, devastation, frustration. Jess had been misdiagnosed since grade four. They kept telling her different, four different optometrists told her she was long-sighted. Year 11, we decided she needed new glasses, shit I can't see. Jess was an honest student at school. She was also very intelligent. And we took her for the fourth time and I actually questioned him and I said, are you sure she doesn't need to see a specialist? And he assured me, no, she was long-sighted. Fast forward to the following year, her final year at high school. And she came home again saying she couldn't see. And I said, well, you know, single parent, I can't afford new glasses every six months. So, and I'd asked the optometrist, does she need, yeah, the specialist. And he said, no. So I just said, I'll take you to the doctor. But she's also just about to go for Australian national netball titles as a goaler, which always surprises people. So I took her to the doctor and he got her to do this. I think it's a Japanese test where they... He had a little booklet with circles with mosaics in it. With Each mosaic had a number or a letter, and she could only read three. And I could read them all, and I was very, or am very short-sighted. And I thought, oh, she's colourblind. That's okay. I can pick her frocks. But he said, what are you doing sport-wise? We said, well, we're off to the nationals. He said, well, when you come back, you need to see an ophthalmologist. And, of course, when we went there, got told, yeah, not only was she losing her eyesight, but she was already legally blind. So... Absolute devastation. And there was nothing they could do, nothing I could do. Very sort of, my God, what's going to happen? But when we were walking out of the office, I said to Jess, well, what are you going to do now? And she said, what do you mean, mum? I'm still the same person. I just now know I have to manage my life differently. And I thought, well, suck it up, mum. That's her attitude. What are you worrying about? But of course, you, you know, feel for them and think, my God, you know, what does this mean for her life? I think it's the unknown of, does that change her career choice? Uh, obviously, her netball basketball is going to be impacted, even though she continued to play for about four years. Very devastating, very, very tough time. And again, being on your own, very hard. And did it force you to change the way you parented? Or did you sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to do A, B, C, or... Did you change your attitude? Did you make any adjustment or changes? Well, not really, because I didn't have time. <laughs> I was still working night shifts. It was basically suck it up and get on with it. It made me reflect. One of the things I always comment on is I'd always cut Jess's toenails, and I thought we had this lovely mother-daughter thing going. Oh, you know, she's 16 and I'm still doing the toenails. How lovely is this? And I said to Jess, you know, why do I cut your toenails, Jess? And she said, well, I've never seen them. And I thought, wow, you know, it destroyed my mother-daughter thing. But life continued on pretty much the same because she stayed doing basketball and netball in 
fact, they went on a the under eighteen team, basketball team went on a tour of Canada, which is funny. And my daughter, believe it or not, was a very good three point shooter, even though she's never seen the goal ring. And I'll never forget her on the free throw line. And the Canadian crowds were all trying to put her off by, you know, waving flags and that. And we thought, oh, go for it, guys. She can't see you. <laughs> yeah. So, no, life never really changed. Jess coped very well, from what I know, coped very well. I'm sure she had moments. Very resilient. And then she decided she was going off to do a, when she started university, obviously she, one of her choices was law or to become an osteopath, well, law was going to be difficult. So she chose osteopath. And then during her first summer holiday, she went to work in the ski fields in America and didn't bother telling anyone she was blind. And I just let her do it. What was I going to say? Oh, you can't do that because you're blind. You can't travel alone because you're blind. It's, it's never been an issue really. It's quite funny now. She actually tells me where to go when we're driving. If I'm taking her somewhere, she'll direct me rather than me. And I often say to her, how can you do that? She said, because I'm more aware of my landmarks and things, you know, whereas you, because you can see, you don't, you don't think about it. But she said, I'm more conscious of everything. So if anyone was going to get a disability, she's coped with it so well. You know, I've been so lucky in that respect. Another amazing quote that I read from Jess, and I'm just going to read it to you. The question that some reporter asked her, if you could revisit yourself as a teenager, either before or after your diagnosis, what three pieces of advice would you give yourself? And then she answered the same three pieces of advice that mom gave me when I was diagnosed. Try everything once. You never know where life can take you. Make opportunities for yourself and have no regrets. Do you remember yourself saying that? Not the actual thing, but I could imagine myself saying those things because it's again reflects back on my childhood and, and my years of being married was have no regrets. And I hate to say that I've got a number of regrets because I allowed people to control me and definitely wanted them to try whatever they wanted and certainly wouldn't have stopped them from trying anything. And to have no regrets, yeah, very important in life, I think, is to have no regrets, but very hard to achieve. I agree. It's just, again, uh, trying to superimpose it on my kids and saying that it's because I, I agree to all those three things as mottos in life yeah i just wonder going back to the point that saying is not enough what else can we do as parents to really instill this these three things as a motto in life again i don't know if it's saying rather than actions like if they suggest something that they you know my son wanted to do karate do it allow him to do it Yeah, it's just to listening to them and, and picking up on it and encouraging them or supporting them, I think is a huge thing, is being there as a support system. And did you go with them to the games or to the practices? When you talk about support, how was the support? Like, what does it mean to support the kids when, when they're making those choices? Yeah, you've got to go with them. You've got to be with them. You've got to show interest, support, never be negative, just full on be there, obviously supply them with whatever they need which is always difficult when you're a single parent. <laughs> I remember driving from here to Adelaide, which is a seven-hour drive with my leg in plaster after having bone grafts from the hips to one of Jess's netball titles. Probably illegal, but <laughs> I did it. I remember having after having the bone graft from the hip, obviously hip issues and the foot in plaster, having to drive to Melbourne to sit for state training and then walk up about 50,000 steps to go to the toilet because I had to sit for three hours and wait for it to train. And then that was, you know, about four days after having a bone graft from the hip. So I think it's being reliable to the kids. They know you'll do it. You know, another time she, when she was playing in a jazz band, she 
left her trumpet at home, so I drove, you know, half an hour back and there in time for her to join the, the group to play with the trumpet, you know, in the jazz band. It's just that being there, knowing that for the kids, knowing that you're available and will support them through everything. Like initially I worked as a casual nurse, so I picked up shifts that fitted with the kids as opposed to being on a set shift basis. So, you know, if we had a state netball a weekend away, we, we could have the weekend away. We just didn't have as much money that week. So I think you've got to be there. You've got to show interest. Basically, as a parent, if you take on having children, you really should sacrifice your life. Obviously not totally, but they come first. You need to take a second seat until the role reverses and they become adults and then you have to learn your place as well. As they become adults, they have opinions and once upon a time I was the one that kept the schedule and didn't forget the appointments and all that, whereas then comes a time now Jess does all that. I get told and you have to know your place to allow them to become successful and confident adults. One of the things that I'm, at least I'm trying to do with my kids is to tell them, okay, when you start something, you cannot just quit in the middle. So if my no. son just started basketball and wanted to quit after a month, I told him you can't quit. You have to finish the season and the then season. we're going to talk yeah. about it. And it sounded like the kids tried a lot of things. And so what was the transition from one to another? They came and they said, I don't want to do it anymore. And then if they said that, how did you teach them perseverance and that you still have to stick to things? Well, I think a lot of it's an age-related thing. Like they start out as ballet when they're two. And obviously, you know, you either become a ballerina or you, you get over it. Then you become a gymnast because that's sort of the next thing. And then as you, you know, obviously Jess got older, so she took up netball, which become more important to her. You know, meanwhile, there's swimming, which is a must-do, you know, in Australia. You must learn to swim. So it's more a progression with Jess. Josh was a little bit different because he hasn't got that natural sporting ability. So he would more try things, but always finish the season or the session or the never just for the sake of trying and try it, which is funny now because Jess is changing sports so often, but that's <laughs> as a Paralympian, but that, that's more circumstantial rather than by choice. It's by being a vision impaired Paralympian is a, a difficult thing. They can drop sports and She was training as a, a long jumper and then Rio decided they wouldn't have long jumps. So it was, you know, if, if she wanted to maintain being a Paralympian, she had to change for it. I want to transition to the scorecard. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it. I sent you. So, so I have this, my personal scorecard of things that I think are my responsibility as a parent to try and help the kids develop. So traits like empathy and grit and resilience and growth mindset. And when I... Research Jess story, which is phenomenal. I wrote down uh, courageous. I wrote down optimism, obviously grit and growth mindset in the sense that it seems like she's seeing challenges as opportunities and she doesn't let it take her down. And so I, I wanted to ask you any advice for me on how to help my kids develop those traits, anything that you did consciously, or again, is it just role modeling? Any specific stories that come to mind when I mention those traits? Being a single parent is just a struggle every day. So I don't remember doing anything. It's survival, basically. 
you know, the kids were aware. I didn't hide anything from them. So they were aware what was going on in life, you know, money, work situation. I didn't make them do anything. I didn't make them make their beds or anything because there wasn't enough time in the day to have to tell them three or four times, you know. So probably that's where the giving the giving and caring and sharing comes from because mum did everything pretty much. <laughs> so, no, I don't remember having any guidelines or it was just what I wanted to do and it was just survival and getting things done. Two follow-up questions on this. One, you mentioned that there are no secrets, so you, you shared with them, and it seems like there was a lot of adversity growing two kids as a single mom. So you were very open with them, like, okay, we, we are, I don't know, we're, we're low on cash, or I'm struggling with this. How transparent and how open were you? On a day-to-day basis, money was tight for a long time, and I did it whatever I could to, to earn money, I made them, they were aware, and they both had jobs, like as soon as they turned 15, they both worked at various, you know, local, you know, the supermarket, the chemist, McDonald's, all those. And I'd managed to get Jess, even with her vision impairment jobs, the private nursing home I was then working at. So, that, yeah, they were very well aware of the financial situation. We did it, and we did it quite well. And I don't think they were deprived of anything, really. And you pushed them to go to work when they were 15? I encouraged Jess, even with her tight schedule with all her trainings and commitments, and Josh was very willing to go. He, was, he couldn't wait to get old enough to go to work. How would you define success as a parent? I don't think you ever stop being a parent, no matter how old they are or how successful they are or anything. They will always need you. And I can vouch for that because my patients that I look after, no matter how old they are, they still want their mum or their dad when they get to a certain point in life. But as a successful parent, I think as long as they're happy and healthy, happy in their own life, happy with who they are themselves, obviously career, if they're happy with their career, but then we can all change as we get older, our ideals of the career we want can change. But yeah, as long as they're happy within themselves, what more can you ask really? So an obvious follow-up question, and by the way, I love this definition, is what can we as parents do to help the kids be happy with who they are? It's very hard because obviously as they get older, they meet different people who impact their lives. I think the most important thing is to be always there for them if they need you and when they need you. And you just hope that they mix with the right circles and you hope they're happy with their job choices. I think you just need to let them know that you're there no matter what, and no matter how old they are. You're still their parent. You're still supporting them. If they need you, you you're there. And then you, you've got to also know when not to interfere Because they are adults, they make their own choices. So it's hard to stand from the side and see sometimes they're making their choices? Very much so. And I used to say to them when they were younger, you make a mistake, you live with it. Like when my sons first started going out, you know, well, if you want to you know, drink and drive, it's your choice and you live with the consequences. Don't come to me with that problem. And lucky enough, you know, he was sensible enough not to do that. But that was basically, it. you know, you stuff up, you're on your own, mate, because you've made that choice. The other thing I always said when my friends used to say was, I used to say, if you can live at home for free as long as you're working, but if you're not working, you have to pay board. And they used to say, isn't that the wrong way around? I'd say no, because they have to work. At what age? You mean like when they get to 15? Oh, no, no, when they finish school. Yeah, I was quite happy to support them right through university and everything, you know, rent free. But if they decided they were going to opt out of enhancing their own lives, then I wasn't going to support that. Ah, so you told them that if they, they don't work after basically they're 18 and they're staying home, they'll need to pay board? Yeah. Wow, that's a strong statement. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I had a tough life. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to work. So. Yeah, but if you if you're working, you can stay at home for free because you you contribute. You know, you've yeah. No, no, it's it had to be tough. That's a that's a yeah. No, but that's that's an amazing message or a very very strong message. I probably didn't give them much advice, but what I give was loaded. You obviously did an amazing job. So I just thought I'll finish it by telling you. So I, like I told you, I exchanged emails with Jess before we talked. And when she sent me the email after I read it, I actually had tears in my, my eyes. And I, I was trying to figure out why. And she she wrote a lot of things, amazing things about you. I guess the closing sentence was, I feel very lucky to have been gifted her as a mom. And I was just trying to understand why I'm getting so emotional. And I think that... If my kids will talk about me the way Jess talked about you, I, f- I would feel very, very, very happy. And I would know that I did a good job as a dad or a great job as a dad. And so I just thought I'll tell you that it made me very emotional to read what she wrote about you. She makes me cry all the time. <laughs> In fact, she said, make sure you've got tissues, mom, because I know you'll cry. But no, it's, she's an absolute treasure. I don't know what I did to deserve her, actually. <laughs> I wish I knew, but I was just me. Went through a tough childhood, tough marriage, but definitely wanted to give them the what the opportunities and the confidence to pursue what they wanted to do rather than Jess be told by a, a boyfriend or Josh be told by a girlfriend, this is what we're doing. You know, I wanted them to have the strength to say, no, that's not what I want. I want better. I wish I was there in person to give you a hug because this was amazing and you're amazing. So thank you very, very much for this call. My job's not done. It's not done, but you did a big, big part of the journey and you did a great job. As I'm sure you all hear, this was a, a very emotional conversation. It's remarkable to see how Doreen overcame all this adversity in her life and managed to provide her kids with ample opportunities Opportunities that she never had. Clearly, her role modeling played a huge part in the upbringing of the kids. Her amazing work ethics, her resilience, her unconditional giving, and her love for competitive sports all seems to have passed to the kids. But it seems that it wasn't just role modeling. Reflecting on this conversation took me back to Angela Dacord's framework of supporting and at the same time demanding parenting. While providing the kids, as mentioned, with opportunities and unconditional love and support, like driving just eight hours to a tournament and sleeping in the car while waiting for her, Doreen was also very demanding and she set clear boundaries, like no quitting in the middle of a season. In many ways, I think that balancing between being supportive and being demanding is the holy grail of parenting, and my guess is that it's not the last time we're encountering this framework. Thank you all for listening. For show notes, please visit RaisingToRise.com. Your support is greatly appreciated, and I'm looking forward to continuing the parenting journey together.